0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestcolona.ca. Today we're going to look at the story of two men who were very far apart, who did not like each other one little bit, and God used these men in a miraculous way, and God had an encounter for them and a new friendship that became a watershed moment, a watershed event in the life of the church that would forever change the church, and because of this chapter, because of the events that took place, and people allowing God to use them, in. In a mighty way and to be faithful and obedient, you and I are here today. If it wasn't for Acts chapter 10, it would be highly doubtful that we would be here today. Because up until this time, Christianity, this movement, being about 10 years old now, had basically stayed in Jerusalem and had spread out just a little bit, but it was just amongst the the, the Jewish people. It spread to the half-breeds, as they would refer to them, the Samaritans, but as far as As the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the gospel still had not reached them. And this is a pivotal point in the book of Acts. And this is a game changer. This changed everything and it has changed it for us. This is why we today have been able to hear the word of God and we can also go and we can proclaim the good news of the word of God. This is the reason we are here today is because of this chapter and so uh, we need to to dig into this here and we will uh, work through this chapter today. You see, Jesus has given the Great Commission. Before he ascended up into heaven, he told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. I like the way Mark, the uh, the gospel of Mark puts it in Mark 16 in the King James Version. It's especially really relevant to where we're going today, where it says to go and to preach the gospel to every creature, every creature, even the despicable ones. We are to preach the gospel, and that will make sense in a little bit when when we dig into this passage. But up until this time, as I said, the church, being about 10 years old, was basically in Jerusalem and had not spread out too far, but it all changes. And we're going to look today at the stories of two men, and we're going to see how God brought them together in a miraculous way. And the first one, uh, two men being Cornelius and Peter. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. Peter... A Jewish fisherman, turned disciple of Jesus, now an apostle, preacher of the gospel. But we're going to start by looking at Cornelius. And there's going to be some points here that encourage you to be writing down. And uh, kids have a little extra cheat sheet. They have more of the words and they just have to fill in a number of the words as we go through this. But this is really important. This is really important that we look at this, understand this, and we'll see. Am I a Cornelius right now? Or am I a Peter? And what is God calling me to do? Because after all, God is with me, God is for me, and God wants to use me. He wants to use you. And so we're going to start in verse 1 of Acts chapter 10. And it says, uh, and and we're going to look at the life of Cornelius here. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God now what we see first of all here in Cornelius is that Cornelius was a good man he was a very good man and and uh, what we can see here on a map just so you understand a little bit the gospel has started in Jerusalem that is where the Holy Spirit came and that's where the church got its start and and then a couple weeks ago we were looking in Acts chapter 9 where Peter went out to Lydda and and there when he was in Lydda some great things happened there he moved on to Joppa and just so you can see Caesarea is a little further north, beautiful Medi- on the Mediterranean Sea, just absolutely beautiful, gorgeous. Here's a picture of what it may have looked like, beautiful architecture. They had a water aqueduct that was just amazing, that's uh, been more recently been been uh, unearthed, I guess you could say, and, and as they have, have looked into that and have discovered just amazing, amazing uh, architecture. And Caesarea was the headquarters for the Roman government. The the headquarters was not Jerusalem, the Roman government, their headquarters was here in Caesarea, it was kind of like the provincial capital for that region, it was kind of like you could say a Rome away from Rome, okay, Uh, copied a lot of the architecture of Rome, and and also with that, a lot of Romans lived there, a lot of Roman officials, and and, and that's where there was some government there, there was a lot of architecture and culture that went along with Rome as a very pagan, very, uh, uh, very sexual very sensual city. And Cornelius was a centurion. And a centurion was someone who was overseeing a hundred soldiers. And what we see from the life of a centurion, we know some things biblically, whenever the Bible talks about a centurion, talks about a centurion in very high regard, very highly respected individuals. And and so Cornelius was that. But we also know a little bit more from what we've just read is is that he had rejected the pagan gods of the Romans. And he was a God fearer. He feared the God of Israel. He feared the only one true God. And there was a reverence and a respect that he had. He was a man who prayed. He was a man who led his family in this. He just didn't believe it. He just didn't have a private belief in a faith system. He led his family in this as well. He gave money. He put his money where his heart was. Not just where his mouth was, where his heart was. And and so he gave generously to the needs of others. And believe it or not, this would have been to to oftentimes even Jewish people, to people who who were under him. But he was a giving, he was a, a caring man. And we see that one day while he was praying, something incredible happened. And here we see his life. The life of a guy like Cornelius would possibly put many of us to shame in how he lived his life. A good man, devout man, respected and feared God, had a reverence towards God, led his family in this way, was generous. Cornelius was a good man, a guy you could trust. He'd be a guy you give your keys to when you go away on on a vacation and, and say, hey, would you look after, you know, our house and make sure it's protected and make sure that, you know, the dog, you know, is taken care of or the cat, the kitty litter is dealt with. You know, he'd be like, hey, no problem. I'll do that. He's a good guy. And yet one of the things we see here in this passage is though that even though he was a good man, he was also a lost man. He loved God, he had a, a heart for God, but he didn't know God in a personal way. He was lost. And what this passage shows us that even good people, a good man like Cornelius, was lost without Christ, without the message of the gospel. He needed to be saved. And this is such a sobering truth people that we need to realize because sometimes I think we just allow this truth to not really penetrate our minds. There are many people who believe and sadly even within the church of Jesus Christ today who believe well if you as long as you are sincere, as long as you live a good life, God will accept you. He will allow you to go into heaven that you know you don't have to do the whole church thing. You can just believe just be sincere. Just kind of have a, 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 you know, a better than your neighbor kind of a faith system or something. And, and, and God's going to look, look really well on you. Over the years, I have performed a good number of funerals in my time and never once has there anyone that, that as the family gives their eulogies and different things, do they say they miss the mark? No, every one of them always placed in heaven. Not by me, but by their family. And they j- j- just would say, hey, they were a good person. I read recently, there was, if you followed in the news a few weeks ago, there was one of the, a, a, a big name member of the Hells Angels at, at the coast was recently murdered in his sleep. And... Um, and, and they arrested someone right away. And then I, I did a little follow-up. I, I read about the funeral service and and how people were so mourning, so sad. And 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 they said if you crossed him, watch out. But they, they talked about how he was a loving and a kind person to his family and his dear, dear friends. And 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 of course he's looking down on them from the Harley in the sky, kind of thing, you know. And 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 of course we always think that that no matter what, in the end, people are saved. In the end, it all works out, you know. And and it's not true. It's not true. And we have to understand that, that people without Jesus Christ are lost. And when you start doing the math and the percentage of the people in this region that are not in church, and if they're not in church, there's a very good chance that they don't know Jesus Christ. There would probably be on a day like today or on a weekend like this for churches that have Saturday night services or whatever they might have, that there would quite possibly be only 5% of our population that would be in church. We see a lot of churches, but many of the churches are empty. A lot of them are dying. A lot of them aren't preaching the word of God. And we have a job to do when we think of the thousands of people that even upon leaving here today and if you go to Costco for a cheap hot dog and a pop or if you go off to a Walmart or you're driving home or you go for a walk knowing that the vast majority of people we rub shoulders with are lost. We have to understand that good people are also can be lost people and they need to be saved. And we see something incredible as Cornelius discovers this in his own life. Romans 3.23. I'm not making this up. This is in the word of God. This is a reality we have to be impacted with. Romans 3 tells us in in verse 10, none of us are righteous. In verse uh, 23 of Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even cute little babies. And we have some of the cutest little babies in this church, I believe. But they're little sinners. They are. Right, Kevin? That little boy of yours, little sinner, takes right after his dad. You know, and and because he has the sinful nature that we all have. And, And the Bible says that we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. But that's not the worst news. The worst news is the consequences of these sins. It means these sins have cut us off from a relationship with God. We can love God. We can have a heart for God like Cornelius. But his sins impacted it so that he cannot know God. And so he was a lost man because of this. And because of this state, because of this, results in death. Not just physical death, but it results in judgment. And it it means um, death, eternal death, separation from God in a place called hell. The Bible preaches, the Bible teaches us about hell, that it is hot, it is forever, and forever is a very, very long time. That's what God's word teaches us. And the word of God tells us that when we don't know God, when we don't have a personal relationship, that is the destination of a person's soul when when they die. Romans 6 reminds us that the wages of sin is death, but it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we're getting ready and the weeks ahead to celebrate this gift of God. May we truly celebrate and remember the true gift, not all the little box gifts and, and the little gift card gifts and all of this that we've kind of made around this whole season, but maybe one where we celebrate, we remember, and we. Tell people about the greatest gift ever. Christmas Eve, start inviting, be thinking who you're gonna invite to that. Let's pack out first Mennonite there on, on Christmas Eve and invite people to, to come and, and be a part and hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Invite them for next week. Don't wait till Christmas Eve, invite them next week. And and allow people and, and, and take that time to share the gift of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Every one of you knows it, but there's a powerful, there's many powerful words in there, but one that's a power word for us there today is where it says, whoever believes on him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes on him will be saved. It's open a door for open season for anyone to respond to Jesus Christ. But that word believes on Jesus that we see isn't just a nice little intellectual because because Cornelius believed in God. He had a belief in God. But this understanding here, what this word believe means to trust in, rely on, cling to. And you can only do that if you have a relationship with God. And how do we have that? Well, it is through Jesus. And that's where we're getting to with Cornelius. Every one of us must look at our lives and say, have I received the gift? Have I received the gift of Jesus Christ? No one gets a free pass to heaven. No upbringing, no heritage that you have or just because you've gone to church three out of five Sundays, that, 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 that's good enough. No, th- that means nothing. You're not gonna find a better person than a Cornelius. I mean, this guy was a good guy. He prayed, he gave, he feared God, he cared for his family. He would have cared for his, the soldiers that were under him. He was sincere and yet he was still a lost man. But here's the good part, he's a seeking man. He's seeking, he's seeking. And when, when someone is seeking, watch out, watch out. It gets exciting. Look at in verse three. And now the ninth hour of the day, uh, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and devoted and a devout soldier from among those who attended him and having related everything to them he sent them to Joppa so Cornelius a guy who had rejected the roman secular life the the paganism the the the, the worshiping of, of, of other gods and idols he had rejected the wealth and the power because even though he had the wealth and the power, there was still something missing. He was seeking after God. There was a void. There was an emptiness. And with a seeking heart and a humble heart, he prays. And one day as he's praying and he's pouring his heart out to God, God answers in an incredible way. Look at it again in verse 4. And it says, And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. He tells him, Then send some men to Joppa, go get Simon Peter, he's at the Tanner's house, he's over there in Joppa, go get him and bring him, because there's something that's going to happen. He tells him to go and to get Peter, and so he sends the soldiers to do that. Folks, we need to understand, a heart that is truly seeking after God, touches the heart of God, will be responded to by God. In Cornelius, there was a a discipline for God, but there was also a desperation in his heart for God. And God responded. And God arranged supernatural events in order for this to happen. And folks, when we are seeking after God, when we are hurting, when we are pouring our heart out to him, God will arrange events in our lives. He will arrange certain events and situations to answer and to, to come to our aid. Psalm 51 Tells us that that when as we are broken and we have humble and contrite hearts before God. He says he won't despise that. No, he rushes towards that. He gives grace to the humble. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Jeremiah 29.13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The problem is oftentimes we're seeking God, but it's not with all of our heart. It's not with, with with a desperation because we have so much, we can do so much. It's like God is just an option. He's an app on our phone, something good to have, and maybe even have a few other, you know, Bible app and a prayer app and all of these different things. But he, he, but there's not the desperation that, that is required. We're not truly seeking. We're not truly broken. We're not truly humble before God. It's just like, eh, you know what? Just, you know, I'll, I'll try prayer. It's kind of like playing, playing the game of jeopardy, you know? Like, I'll, I'll take prayer for a thousand. Well, a thousand's too much. You know, I'll take prayer for 500, you know? And, 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 it, and it's not the desperation. But when desperate people pray and storm the gates of heaven, God responds. He does. Second Chronicles 7. Fourteen, if my people called by my name humble themselves and pray and what? Consider talking to God. No, seek, seek my face, seek his glory. Say, God, I'm desperate before you. If you do not, I cannot. God, I am hungry, I'm desperate, I'm in need of, of you. And as we cry out to God in that kind of a way, he answers. At first goes on to say he will hear He will respond. He will bring healing. When a man or a woman is sincere about knowing the truth about God, God will be faithful and will arrange events and opportunities for them to hear. But the big question will, will the person on the other side be obedient? That's a really important thing that we're going to get to. Folks, I believe this is happening today. You hear today of Muslims and um, people from other religions, but right now in, in, uh, who are following uh, the teachings of, of Islam, receiving dreams and visions about Jesus. But the majority of those stories, listen up, the majority of those stories that are here and are people who are coming to faith, not through the dream and vision. It's simply given as a message and a prompter to go out and to seek for Christ and to seek someone who can end up sharing the gospel with them. You see, God can save people through dreams, but he sends people to people. That's how his primary way that he, he, he sees people come into the kingdom through the proclamation of the word of God is we share the gospel person to person, whether that's on a Sunday morning at a crusade over the coffee table with someone in a vehicle that as we are sharing Christ person to person, that is when people are saved. And this is what we see in such a beautiful way for Cornelius. Years ago, as um, I pastored, In another church um, in Alberta, we were, uh, remember there was a desire for us to, to build out on the front lawn, a you know a, a church sign, and we didn't have all the money, and it was the technology wasn't quite there yet for a nice fancy neon sign that you know you could program different things. Instead, we, we figured we could do one of the signs that you know had these kind of lettering, you know, that you would put up and change and different things, and tell the service times and special events and different things like that. And so, so, so we got that up there, and it, it looked really good. They put a cross, and yeah, it looked it looked really good. I was really impressed with the work that 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 those individuals did on that, and. Little did we know there was a house builder who lived not too far from the church and he was building some houses in town and, and uh, we didn't know him, he didn't know much about us except he would drive past the church and, and uh, it turned out that he ended up going to the doctor, had some physical problems, ended up finding out that he had cancer and it was, was quite serious and, and so he was on the job site. A few blocks away from the church and 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 it was having a time of just like brokenness and seeking after God. He had gone to church years ago, not decades earlier and kind of just kind of played with it. Never really got that serious about a, a commitment to the Lord but kind of had been around a little bit but now things were desperate and he was seeking God and he was calling out to God on the job site in tears and brokenness. He said, I don't know what to do but he knew he needed to get right with God. He knew that that was even more important than the cancer. He needed to get right with God as he was driving driving home at the end of the day the church sign had been changed that day and it said if you're looking for a sign to go to church this is it and with that he just knew and he pulled into the church parking lot and that man ended up getting saved and baptized as well as his wife as well as his daughter as well as his uh, son-in-law number of years later Testimony was given at his funeral that he was a follower of Christ and that God can save anyone and God used his life and God used that event in a powerful way. But you see a seeking heart that God arranges, that sign just nicely got changed that day and it just like, it was amazing. I mean, just just how God used that in a miraculous way and and God used that to to save a soul. A desperate prayer, a searching heart and a church sign. God can use anything. Last Sunday, a man was driving past some, on one of the streets around the theater. He saw the church signs. Signs are important. He saw the sign and something just told him, you got to go to that church. He's never been here before, never heard about it, saw the sign. Something just within him said, I got to go to church, that, go to that church. He ended up showing up. And, and Pastor Trevor preached about just kind of like their life story, told the testimony of, of their daughter, I was talking to this gentleman in the foyer after the service and and he said that message was just for me. He said my wife and a niece of mine both are struggling with brain injuries and what does Trevor's daughter have hope a brain injury 60 to 70 percent of her brain supposedly not even working. I think I was even low on that percentage. It's even higher than that. We got to spend some time with them this week and that girl is brilliant. God heals God restores. Amazing story, what God has done there. He heard a message of hope. He heard a message of healing. He heard a message that there is strength in the journey, and he was so encouraged. Why? He saw a sign. God spoke. A desperate heart, a hurting heart, and he was encouraged, and I hope that he comes back, and I hope we have more contact with him. And he said, my wife needs to hear this. I need to get a copy of this and send it to my niece who's struggling with with a brain injury. God works in miraculous ways still today, and he will use us in this way. If we're available for him to do so. God arranges these kind of things. This is our great God. God works wonders in the hearts of those who are truly seeking him. So we see Cornelius was a good man. But he was a lost man. He's a seeking man. Let's now take a look at Peter. Peter was a man that was called by God to be used of God. You have to understand if you're a believer in Christ you it's just not to your salvation just doesn't terminate on you. We've been saved to be used by God to share the truth of God with others. It's not just for our, for our own sake that we're saved. It's not so we can go out and live our best life now and and, and do whatever we want. It's whatever he wants. Whatever he would have for us to do. Peter, as you know, he's a fisherman turned disciple, called to leave his nets and follow Jesus. He did. Ah, he kind of messed up, but he was an eager guy. He was ready to jump in there. He was willing to speak up. He was willing to step up. And sometimes it didn't go so well for him. We also know him as Peter, the denier, the guy who denied Jesus, not once, but three times. But then we see Jesus, the repenter, making that right and being reinstated by Jesus. Then we see Peter, the preacher in Acts chapter 2, preaches this sermon, and 3,000 people are saved. Then two weeks ago, we saw in Acts chapter 9 how all the disciples, you know, church is 10 years old, they're huddling up still basically in the Jerusalem area, and he ventures out. He ventures out because what did Jesus tell him to do? Go and feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, take, feed my sheep. And, and, and so what's he doing? He's, he's going in and he's encouraging the believers. And Lydda and Joppa, he's moving out into some of the surrounding areas. And as a result of, of that, he ended up, when he went to Lydda, there was the paralyzed man who had been paralyzed for eight years, and, 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 and Peter healed him with the power of Jesus Christ. Then he goes to Joppa because he hears that a dear lady in the church had died, and, and, and in the power of God, he raised her from the dead. And so then he remained in Joppa. He's like, ah, you know, Joppa wasn't a bad place to hang out, you know, right on the Mediterranean and that, but, but it wasn't with his friends. It wasn't with his buds, but he was, he was willing to move out and to be there to encourage the church because that's what Jesus told him to do. So he's being obedient in that way. And so in Acts chapter 10, he's still in Joppa at Simon, the Tanner's house. Let's pick it up in verse nine says, the next day as they, this is Cornelius' soldiers, so Cornelius's soldiers are on the way to, to, to come to Joppa to, to find him. As they were on their way, uh, on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So it's noontime. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and then the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So here you see God stirring the heart of Peter, who desires to be obedient, a person who is called and, and, and is desiring to be used by God, and, and, uh, and he's stirring him again. He's calling him into action. There's no such thing as retirement when it comes to the kingdom of God. There's always work to do. Even though this isn't going to make a lot of sense at times, and, and this definitely, I mean, what happened to Peter, this dream, this vision, like, was that for real? Or am I just like really hungry right now? You know, I'm, I'm hungry and I'm just hallucinating and I'm seeing these animals. You know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of these different things are going through his work, uh, through his mind. But we see that Peter was also obedient. He was obedient. He was faithful in the little things. And as he was faithful in the little things, God used him in the big things. You have to understand there is nothing that is small or insignificant when we follow the Lord. He uses it all. Even the little things. The seemingly unimportant, insignificant, mundane. Things that people don't even realize or notice are getting done. There's nothing that is too small. God uses it all. Moses, take him for example, experiences the call of God Where? Out in the wilderness, receives this, sees this burning bush, I mean, this miraculous event, and here he gets the call of God to go and to deliver the Israelites. And what was he doing? He was taking care of sheep. Stinking sheep he's taking care of. Not even his own. His father-in-law's sheep, for crying out loud. I mean, for 40 years. But then God called. And God was training him in those 40 years, preparing him for a great work. David killed Goliath. But that started by just being simply obedient to what his father requested. 1 Samuel 17, when his father said, hey, go check up on your brothers. He had to stay home because he was the youngest. And they kind of thought maybe he was on the feeble side a little bit. Plus, I guess he was quite good looking. And so his dad thought, well, we'll save that face. You know, like we don't want to send you in. I don't know if that part's true. But we're not going to send you in a war. You stay here. But go check up on your brothers. See how they're doing in the battle against the Philistines. Go take them some bread and cheese. And so he takes some bread and some 10 cheeses to, to, you know, his his brothers and, and to the king and finds out, whoa, who's this Goliath dude? He was just faithful, bringing the cheese. And in faithfulness and bringing the cheese, God used him to defeat Goliath. Bringing cheese isn't an insignificant thing in God's eyes. He used that obedience. Gideon was called by God to deliver the people of God. As he was faithfully pounding out some grain. He was a little scared. He was in a wine press. Not the best place to be thrashing out grain. But he's faithfully taking care of his family. And he is there. And God calls him as he's just pounding out the grain. Mary and Joseph. Sweet couple. Had a heart for God. Looking forward to their life together. But they were also usable for God. And for his purposes to bring. To be the earthly parents of the savior of the world. We're here because of other people's obedience, because of their sacrifice, because of their willingness to do the little things. We see this same pattern of, of obedience in Peter's life in Acts chapter 2. He and the other disciples are in the upper room, and as they're in the upper room, you know, Jesus even told them, He says, Go and you're going to preach the gospel, but you're going to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, but wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And, and so what do they do? They go to the upper room and they're praying, they're waiting. And as they're waiting, they're praying. They're praying and they're waiting. And and this is going on. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes. He's filled with power. He he goes and he preaches this amazing sermon. And 3,000 people get saved. Why? Because they were praying. He was at the right place at the right time because he was praying. And he was seeking God. He was waiting patiently. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple to go pray. And they were just going to prayer meeting. And as they go, they they, they, they met a, a beggar along the way and there was a healing that ended up happening happening there. It wasn't like, you know, Peter was getting up that morning eating breakfast, oh, John, I think think I'm going to go heal me a beggar today. No. He was just going to prayer. He was going to go join together and worship together with some of the other believers. He was going to go bring some encouragement. He was going to go and he was going to pray. There's never such thing as a mundane prayer meeting. You make it mundane because we get, and and a mundane worship service because, and if it is, you make it mundane and a boring piece from the word of God because God's word is not boring. It's alive. It is his spoken word to us. Worship is our exaltation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Our prayer is going to the king of the universe, not just some nice little words, you know, that we just pray, just, you know, going through the motions. No, there's power. So in 10 days, when you come, when you come to the prayer night on that Tuesday night, expect God to show up and to answer our prayers as we make much of Jesus and as we pray for him to work. And just don't wait for that to happen on Tuesday, You know 10 days from now this week in your small group when you get alone with God in prayer and open the word believe that God's going to speak to you through his inerrant infallible word of truth to us when we worship him pour our hearts out to him in gratefulness and adoration for what he has done and so Peter goes and the as they're they're going off to the prayer meeting there's an opportunity that God puts upon his heart to, to to heal this person. And we just see this pattern of faithfulness. In, in Joppa, like he was wedding, ready to, to head out to, to Lydda and Joppa. While the others were, were staying back in the comfort of Jerusalem. He went out to encourage the folks. And God used him in a great way. And in verse 10, now he's, you know, it, it's lunchtime. He's getting a little hungry. And, you know, I could see him possibly coming in and asking the servants, you know, what's for lunch? Get <laughs> getting a little hungry. Oh, it's not ready yet. Well, Guess I'll go pray. That's a good thing to do. How many of us when 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 we've got some extra time do we take time to pray? And Peter took time to pray. And as he prayed God had something special for him. He, he, he has this, in verse 10, we see this trance, this vision of, of animals in this blanket. And, and, and the blanket, this, this, this white sheet, represented the four corners of the world. And it's filled with all kinds of clean and unclean animals. And, and, and you know, there, there was some very edible animals in there for Peter. But then there were some that were definitely not very edible. And it's kind of like, you know, this t-shirt that I was given a few years ago. You can't read it, but I'll read it for you. And there's a little picture of animals and stuff. And it says, there is plenty of room for all of God's creatures right next to the mashed potatoes. You know, and I was just like, yeah, okay, that's, that's pretty. Well, this isn't what this was about. Like Peter has seen this. And even though he may have seen this cow with a mm, roast beef, hope for we're having roast beef sandwiches for lunch, you know, he, He's like, no, I can't even eat that because it's touching the unclean animals. And because the unclean animals touching the clean animals, I'm I'm having nothing to do with that. Even though in this dream, it said, Peter, you know, kill and eat. No way. I'm not. I've never done that. I've never touched anything unclean. I've I've stayed very kosher, never gone near any of that. And so the Lord tells him again, Peter, kill and eat. Don't say that something's unclean that isn't unclean. And Peter knew that that in this this vision, this trance, it wasn't just about animals, it was about people. You see, Peter had a beautiful attitude towards God, but a lousy attitude towards people. Not all people, not Jewish people, not his people, but uh, the Gentiles. We can have a great attitude towards God in our worship, but we can have a lousy attitude towards those around us. Though God called and used him, there was more of Peter that needed to be transformed and changed. There were more souls to be saved. He says, arise, go and eat. No, I'm not touching any of these things. And Peter's response shows his heart and oftentimes how our heart can be. You see, the Jews hated the Gentiles, I mean, they, they hated these people for, for all the mess that they created in their lives. I mean, the Jews have been very hated people all through their history because they're God's people. And we see this all throughout. And, 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 and even today, Israel is a hated nation. And Jews had centuries of persecutions before this and then even after this. And, and it was always the non-Jews. Most of the times it was the non-Jews. It was the Gentiles, whether it was the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks. And now it's the Romans. They've occupied the land for, for over a hundred years. Those Romans are so proud and so arrogant, bringing their religion and their pagan practices and their sexual disgustiness into our, into our land. And, and so of course the Jews hated them. And it was the, it was the Romans, those, those dogs, those Romans, they're the ones that invented the cross. That was a Roman form of persecution and and it was on the cross that those Roman Romans put Jesus on the cross. They hated them. I mean, and it went the other way. The Romans hated the Jews. I mean, they lived in the same country, but you better believe there was solid lines of division there. There was no love there between these people, but there was more work that the gospel needed to do and God would use. A faithful servant who was obedient in the little areas and was getting ready for a great work in his life, a greater harvest of souls. And it says, and the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. You see, God wants to save everyone, all people, all people are precious to him. And God was rearranging his thinking. God was rearranging his theology in this, changing his heart. And his time in prayer then ended, and, and it was taken back up into heaven, and and with that there was a knock on the door. God's timing is so perfect, isn't it? I just love this. Look at verse 17. And now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, you better believe it. This is like totally. This is mind blowing. This is like, what have I just seen? I can't believe this happened. I believe it was from God, and he's perplexed as to what this vision uh, that he had seen might mean. What is the reason you are coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. When God gives a vision in the heart, there will be a knocking at the door. It's true for Peter. It'll be true for us. And amazing how Peter's heart is changing. Not only just rearranging his dietary restrictions that he had lived up to faithfully all his life, God's rearranging his old program, his old thinking. as he seen the gospel is indeed for the entire world, the whole world, even Gentiles. And he invites them in to be his guest. And for a Jew to invite a Gentile in, To stay the night for a meal is simply unheard of. But God was changing Peter's heart. How's your heart today? Are you a racist? I mean, you you wouldn't admit it. Except to maybe your friends, close friends. Is there a people group that you just can't stand? Because of their history or because of their skin color? Is there a group of people you kind of struggle with? How about the homeless around us? Do they disgust you? Are people who are disadvantaged? Do we have a heart of love and compassion? What about that coworker who drives us nuts? That boss who you just can't stand? Do we just hate along like everyone else or do we see that as a person that Jesus loves and died for and is very dear to the heart of God? How about people that have different political views than us? There's incredible divisions happening, not just across the border, but even here in Canada over the election that took place. Are we handling ourselves with grace and dignity and and love, even though we may disagree with people? How about someone who has sinned and has hurt us, betrayed us, and you say, I won't forgive? I'm not going to forgive until until this happens, until this happens, I'm not forgiven. That's a problem. Because God's Word tells us as believers in Christ that we must forgive. Because Christ has forgiven us. It doesn't mean bring them back into your circle of trust and and everything is all going to be rosy, but but forgiveness is the start towards the reconciliation. Forgiveness is the start towards God doing something amazing in that situation. But the longer we hold on to bitterness, the greater the chasm becomes. And we're not living out a life that's been called by God to be obedient, obedient to forgive, obedient to trust God to work out the details. Then we see Peter was used in mighty ways for God's glory. Verse 23, the next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him and on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends and when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. And Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. What you have just seen here, folks, is the absolute picture of humility on behalf of both of these men. A Gentile bowing at the feet of a Jew. And instead of the Jew, Peter, saying, oh, let me get a picture of this. I'm going to tweet this to all my friends. A Gentile is bowing before me. You guys aren't going to believe this. You disciples hold up there in, in Jerusalem. He doesn't do that. in act of humility, he's like, get up. Get up, I too am a man. You and I, we're men. We're together. And soon to be brothers. Brothers in Christ. This is, this is incredible. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you or to visit anyone of any of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Wow, wow, wow. What a statement. The mighty centurion bowing before a peasant, preacher, fisherman in front of his family and friends, but he was desperate. He was seeking with a humble heart, ready to do whatever it would take so that he could find. A relationship with God. Peter gets him up. Cornelius goes on to tell him, "Hey, Peter, you're not going to believe what happened. I had, I I had this deal with this angel, and this angel said to come get you." And Peter's just like, "I know, I know. This is God just working this thing out in an amazing way." And then Peter ends up starting to speak, and Peter preaches a sermon. It's in these situations the word of God must be proclaimed doesn't mean you have to listen to a sermon. It doesn't mean you have to get them into church. This is where they get to hear the gospel. Not just the good news. Not just a the testimony. They need to hear the gospel. And this is what Peter does. This is kind of a concise version of the sermon that he preached in Acts 2. And again, uh, in, in Acts 3 to the Sanhedrin. And, and so Peter just, he, starts, he talks about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. He talks about his return to, as, as the judge and how he offers salvation to all who believe. He just doesn't tell them a nice little story. He gives them the full business. He gives them the whole news about Jesus. He came. He died. He rose again. He's coming back as the judge. And you must believe in him. You're all under God's wrath. He speaks of the atonement in here. And, 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 and the, the atoning work of Christ. And this is amazing. Peter didn't even get to finish the sermon. Look at this. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things. I would so love to have, maybe some of you would too, a sermon of mine cut short. Because someone says, I need to get right with Christ. I need to get right with Christ right now. If that happens today, praise the Lord, I think we'd all be excited. Or all of us said, we need to get right with the Lord because we've got got obedience issues. I'm in this for my own kind of gain. I'm in this for, you know, kind of like, I'll only go so far, but I'm not willing to go all the way. who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So here we see, because of the grace of God, because of the obedience of Peter, and he was willing to do what God called him to do, we see Cornelius becomes a saved man. Our last point for the day, Cornelius is a saved man. We see that he understands the gospel because it's been proclaimed to him. And he finds that there's power in the name of Jesus. And Jesus becomes his Lord and his Savior. And he sees, we all see the gospels for all people. There is no one whose life cannot be turned inside and out, inside out by the gospel. So I wonder today, where are you at? Are you a Cornelius? A good person trying to live a good life yet still lost? You've never truly accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? I trust you're seeking him today and that you would be saved. That today would be that day. Or like Peter, you know Christ. You've been called. Your son, your daughter of Christ. Then he's called you to be used for him. For his sake, for his glory. Are you being obedient? Obedient and faithful in the little things. You know that story about the sign and the construction worker. If you're looking for a sign to come to church, this is it. That all happened because in a whole chain reaction of events. Of someone who had the idea, hey, we should have a sign out front. And someone said... Let's make you know, let's, let's give towards it. Let, let's give financially to, to support this. And someone else took and few of the men built it. And someone researched and found these crazy letters. They weren't the easiest things to find, as I remember. And, and they got all the letters so that they could change, change the messaging. And then, then there was faithful people who updated and cared for that board. And, and God used all that faithfulness in order to work in the life of that individual in a powerful way on that one day. When he was driving home from work. And it's about being faithful. It's about being available in the little areas. Serving within the life of the church. Serving at the workplace. Taking time for that person who maybe drives you nuts, but you know they're hurting and and befriending and loving them and showing them the love of Christ. It's faithfulness in working in Harvest Kids. Being a part of a ministry that teaches the gospel to our kids. Our kids' lives are being impacted. Foundations are being packed in their lives and an opportunity for them to, to come to know Christ. It allows parents to, to give them an opportunity to be able to come in here and learn without distractions. And kids, you are sitting amazing today. You guys are so good. Thank you. But it's so important, even today, that for the babies that are being held and loved at the front of a movie theater, for crying out loud. I love that. How beautiful is that? It's the little areas. It's the setup. It's the takedown. It's it's bringing snacks. Because after the service is over, you know what? If you have a coffee in your hand and a snack, you know what? There, there's just something a little bit more about sticking around to talk and, and, and getting to know one another. And we ought to be getting to know one another. Walking across. There's no such thing as, as, as just kind of, you know, just just being here and there for yourself. It's, it's about getting to know other people around us and, and, and introducing yourself to someone who you don't know. Engage them in a conversation because in that you're saying your life matters. It matters to God. And because if it matters to God, it's gonna matter to me. It's everyone doing their part. Faithfulness in, in the little areas. God uses that obedience in the little areas to use us in a powerful way in some big areas in our lives. And as we are faithful in those areas, hold on. Pray how God can and will use you. And I have to wonder, here's Cornelius, a seeking man, and here is Peter, an obedient man. Who is waiting on the other side of your obedience? Who may be receiving a word from God, a vision, a dream, or whatever it might be, and you're the Peter. You're the one to go to them. And the Lord's laying it upon your heart as you're in prayer or throughout the day. And this person comes to mind and it's just like, I've got to do something. I've got to text them. I've got to phone them. I've got to meet for coffee with them. Who might that person be? It's probably someone or some people that come to mind rather quickly because the Holy Spirit desires that everyone gets saved and he's calling you and I to be part of that. So he lays that upon us. Who who do we need to be storming the gates of heaven for and our prayers for? the gospel is going to multiply in our land, in our region, in our families, in our workplace, it starts with you and me. Remember, God is for us. God is with us. And he wants to use us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you right now and we just pause and we thank you for the salvation that is available in Jesus Christ. And I pray that if there's one person that is here today that has never trusted you as their Lord and savior. This would be the day of salvation, the day where they seek you with their whole heart, where they believe on cling to entrust their lives to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, understanding that they have sinned before a holy God and that sin means that they are under God's judgment But in receiving and accepting the work of what Jesus did on the cross, we're forgiven. All our sins forgiven. And that humbles us. What love, what a great salvation. Incredible words cannot describe. God, thank you for saving people. Thank you for saving me. And God, I pray that we would sing that as a declaration if we know you today. But may we also see that we are To be out there sharing the good news, the gospel with others, would we be directed even this day to look at opportunities and to prepare for opportunities in this coming week to be able to share the gospel with those around us, the good news of Jesus Christ? And with that, the gospel multiplies in our hearts, in our lives. You change us, you mold us, you transform us more into the image of Jesus Christ. And as a result, the lost get found. It's all for your glory.